What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Round 6 Podcast. We are your hosts, Keaton Cordell and Jake Smith, coming to you live from Fort Worth, Texas this time, and Denver, Colorado. What a week last week. Last week was perhaps the wildest week that I've ever been a part of with the UFC since I've been a fan, and I've been a fan for a long time. And I can say without question that last week, the the shakeup of the card, uh, one fighter, Kamzat Shumayev, missing weight, causing everything else to completely go out of whack and then the brass at the UFC finding a way to put it back together in like 24 hours, 36 hours was just crazy. And honestly, I think it made the card a lot better than it was originally. I was happy and was excited to see all of the fights that were slated originally, but with everything shaking up after Hamzat missed weight, I actually think the card ended up being better than it was before. The fights were more competitive, but the disadvantage to that was none of the guys were fighting who they were prepared to fight. So, uh, Jake, what did you see on last week's card, and and what can you point to that might have been like some of the more hectic elements that um, kind of made way to some good fights, or mm-hmm. or who do you think set themselves apart from everyone else? What what do you remember from last week's card that that stuck out to you as just being the perfect cherry on top for just a wild fight mm-hmm. week for UFC two seventy nine? I mean, for starters, when everything happened, I was seeing posts online and on Instagram saying, okay, let's just put Kevin and Hamzat. Okay, let's just put Tony and Nate. And all the comments are like, this isn't the WWE. You cannot just do that. You can't just make this stuff happen on a whim like that. And here comes Dana White and he does it. And in my opinion, sure, they're taking a book out of the WWE playbook, but this, this made the card so much better. I don't think anybody wanted to see... Nate go out there and fight Hamza. Like, sure, we were saying, yeah, Nate could take it late rounds. Nate could do blah, 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 blah. No one wanted to see Nate go out like that. Nobody wanted to see Tony Ferguson have to fight the leech. Like, every fight that ended up happening was such a better fight to happen. Hamza and Kevin actually match up well. Everybody's been wanting to see Tony and Nate for probably five years now, pretty much. Like, they've been in the same division. These guys have never fought before. And then Leach and D-Rod, like, that was just a better fight all around, in my opinion. Leach was yeah. going to come out there and absolutely starch Tony, so there was no point of that fight. So, in my opinion, everything about this card was made so much better. And I, I think it happened naturally as well. There has been a lot of talk lately. And you've seen it from Dana White on the press conference after Contender Series. You've seen Brendan Schaub tweeting about it, posting on Instagram about it. People think there was a conspiracy that the UFC did not think – that ticket sale or um, pay-per-view sales were going up high enough. People didn't think that it would be right for Nate to have to go out after everything he's done for the UFC against their killer like Hamzat. But what do you think about that? Do you think an organization like the UFC, an organization that's under like an athletic, uh, whatever, whatever you call it, an athletic program, um, 
or an athletic commission, like, do you think they're going to do something like that? Be able to turn an entire card around two days before it actually happens? Or do you think this actually happened naturally? It a hundred percent happened naturally. There's no doubt in my mind that Hamza just missed weight. He, he wasn't at the weight that he needed to be at. And I think one thing, and I, I saw Aljamain Sterling talking about this on his podcast a little while ago, but Aljamain was saying, you know, usually when guys miss weight, they're, they're just incredibly sunken in that they, they don't look like they're healthy. They especially don't look happy after they've missed weight. And Hamzat looked healthy. He didn't look drawn out. He didn't look sunken in. And he was flexing and, and smiling and stuff after he missed weight. But I think the the reason, at least in my mind, that that's just not the case is it's not like Hamzat was actively trying to, to make weight and then right at the last second just couldn't do it. According to Hamzat, again, there, there could be some closed-door meetings that happen, but I just don't think that this is the case. But according to Hamzat, uh, the athletic commission came to his house or wherever he was cutting weight at like 4 a.m. the morning of the weigh-ins and told him that he shouldn't continue cutting weight. So realistically, Hamza could have been down to like 175, 174, you know, getting kind of right on the cusp of where you need to be to weigh in for, for a fight at welterweight. But if, if the, the athletic commission comes in at 4 a.m. and tells you, hey, you should stop cutting weight, you're not going to make it, you know, whether it's their opinion or whether it's the truth – you're probably not going to continue whether you st- like, even if you stop cutting weight, you're not going to stop. Uh, you're not going to continue to like not drink water to, to not yeah. eat and do stuff. So I think even though Hamza missed by eight plus pounds, he probably rehydrated a little bit somewhere in there, which also goes towards him not being too drawn out. And his spirits were probably a little bit better too, just mm-hmm. because it wasn't in his mind. The fact that he missed weight, I bet he thought he could make weight. Everything that I've heard him say mm-hmm. seems to indicate that he thought he would have made the weight should he continue cutting. But mm-hmm. the athletic commission told him to cut it off, and and that's not necessarily his fault. Obviously, yeah. it's, it's his fault in the sense that um, you probably should be a little bit lighter coming into fight week so that mm-hmm. that's not even on the table. But I, I just disagree with what Aljamain said in that sense because – if the athletic commission comes and tells you to stop cutting weight and they're adamant that you don't continue, it's not really your fault. Not mm. necessarily that you, you don't make the weight, but it's not your fault that you don't look, you know, pissed off and stuff when you go to weigh in. Yeah. It was taken out of your hands. So yeah, that's I, something I, I never really thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. I, first of all, like you said, it's not the WWE and there's no like, these guys have trained to fight each other for two months now, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, somewhere in, in that neighborhood. And I don't think the UFC is just going to take those fights for all six guys at the top of the card out of a conspiracy that they weren't selling enough pay-per-view buys um, and, yeah. and, and take that away from them. It, it made it to where all six guys at the top of the card were now fighting someone that they weren't prepared to fight. And mm-hmm. for some of them that showed like, I don't think Kevin Holland was ready to take on a wrestler. We've seen his no. wrestling skills kind of falter in the past when he fought Derek Brunson and, and some of those other guys that are wrestling heavy. But, so I just don't think that out of a conspiracy, the UFC is going to put some of those guys in that position. Mm. Um, so I, personally, I think it's a wild thought that, that the UFC conspired against some of these guys in order to you know, bump up the sales. Um, I think it's an unfortunate situation for all involved and, you know, it is what it is, but the UFC just showed why they're the best in the world at what they do. Yeah, I agree. By they being able to keep that card the best of it, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They made the best of what they could have done. And I think they made the card even better personally. Like Dana White, people can give him all the shit in the world. He, he is a 
he's the cream of the crop. Like he, he is the best there is in my opinion. And Michael Chandler alluded to this yesterday, something about how when all this stuff happened at the press conference, there was no, oh, these are fighters. Oh, this is what's going to happen when you have all these guys in the room. There was nothing like that. There was no excuses. Everything was, we were not prepared. We did not have enough security. We're going to do better next time. Like there was literally nothing to do with, oh, these are fighters. This is just what happens. It was all, we weren't prepared for this. Like from now on, we're going to have more security in these situations. So like, you, I, I don't like the hate going towards Dana about all this. Like, sure, you give him some hate for fighter pay, whatever. I don't care. But Dana White's the cream of the crop. He made this card happen. He takes full responsibility for everything that happened, even though he literally had nothing to do with any of it. But I think that's something that you should absolutely need to point out. Yeah, and to your point about the, the whole backstage debacle before the press conference, Yes, they probably should have had more security and stuff, but you don't know that until you've had these learning mm-hmm. moments throughout your career. And like, how many times? Has, yeah, how many times has the UFC held a press conference? Like a five hundred, eight hundred, a thousand times probably, and this has never happened before. And I think part of that also is like Kamzat's such an X factor. The Diaz camp, not even just Nate Diaz, not even just Nick Diaz. The Diaz camp is such an X factor. And then you sprinkle some of these guys like like Holland in the mix. Like it, it, all it takes is one uh, little Jenga block to be moved out of place, and the whole tower falls. And that's what happened. Especially with the Diaz army there. Yeah, yeah, and especially. And and Dana said that Hamzat had like thirty guys in his camp with him. The Diaz camp had like fifty to sixty guys with him. So I think part of that is not just on your fighters, right? Like your your fighters can be chirping each other, and it's all. I don't want to say fun and games. They probably mean it, but they're just kind of going back and forth. And then if someone with a hot head and and either one of their camps starts popping off, of course, all those guys are going to jump in and defend them. You can't blame them. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation, but I'm glad the card ended up coming together and kind of going in a good direction. And and ultimately we got to see some really good fights. I I had so many TVs on so many different sports on Saturday and it was just a really great night. And I think it's time to get into the picks from last week because yeah, another pretty damn good week in my opinion. What about you? Uh, I think we. I know we, I made money. Yeah, absolutely. It will. And the kind of the wild thing about that is that if you go back to last week's episode and you look at our picks, none of our picks made it onto the 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 final iteration of that card. So this was you and me going back and forth the Saturday night before morning. or Saturday morning, even yeah. just scrambling trying to figure out who we were going to pick. And I think we still did pretty well, even though. Yeah, the you know the parlay didn't go as well as it could have. It was three for four or mm-hmm. three of four legs hit, um, and then you know Jake Collier just tore it all apart. But or I guess you could say Chris Barnett tore it all apart. Either way, if that parlay hits, I feel even better about oh, yeah. our week than I do right now, and I still feel good about the week. We here. had we had some good actual luck, like not just skill. We had some great luck this time around. That D Rod decision. I had no faith in that coming for us. It nope. hit at a plus 140 dog, which is awesome. But, I mean, come on now. Leach won that fight. I'll take yeah. the money to run. Leach won that fight. And then when you're looking at that Irene Aldana win, that could not have been more perfect for us. Looking at it right now, we had under two and a half. So, two minutes and 30 seconds, and we're done. If it hits two minutes 30, we're done. At two minutes and 21 seconds, Aldana lands a liver kick and puts her out. Like, I was sitting there counting it down. I'm like, so like all right, 10, 9, oh my God, and we won. <laughs> yeah, 
No, it, I mean, it's luck. Yeah, it was great. And I was texting our friend Harrison like throughout the course of that fight because he tailed us on a couple of our picks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when that happened, he texted me and was like, oh my gosh, like, what just happened? What just happened? I was like, I don't know, but give me my money and let's get out give of here. Give me the money! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was yeah. great. So, and then of course, Nate Diaz is dog of the week. Mm. That was, mm-hmm. it, I was picking Nate no matter what, whether he made our picks or not. I was throwing, whether he was a favorite or a dog, I was riding Nate. Absolutely. No doubt. Even, even when he was fighting Hamzad at like a plus 800 dog, I was going to sprinkle on him because yeah. he's Nate. He's Nate. Like, why not? So, the, the fact that he gets it done and the kind of the other like ironic and just wild thing that it's, what's funny, Joe Rogan posted a, or had made a post after the, the, the card and was like, I'm not convinced that we're not living in a situ, uh, a simulation. And Nate Diaz locks up the submission on Tony Ferguson at two minutes and nine mm-hmm. seconds in the fourth mm-hmm. round. Like it's That's the so 209 cool. baby represent, represent. The ref, there's, there's pictures of the ref stepping in the second the ref's hand touches the fighter. That's when the fight's over. The ref steps in, hand on Nate, while Nate's got a one-arm guillotine. He doesn't even have a two-arm. Like he's not even doing a, a normal guillotine. He's got a one-arm guillotine and a flex on the other arm at 2.09 on the clock. Last fight, last win. Could have gone out better for Nate. Like, that's, that's yeah. just how he does it, you know? Yeah. So, no. Submissions with either a finger to the crowd or a flex. Like, one of the two. It's poetry in motion it for really Nate Diaz. So, where, where do you think, picks aside... Where do you think some of these fighters go from here, right? So obviously the the uh, Li Jingliang and Daniel Rodriguez fight. There's a lot of talk about uh, that one being run back out there, and I tend to agree with that. And uh, that one was called for by D Rod because he yep. doesn't like the disrespect. He thinks he won that fight. I don't think he did, but he thinks he won that fight, and everyone's saying he didn't. So he wants to run that back. So I, there's no reason not to for the leech. Why would the leech not take it? Now he gets to fight at the weight he's supposed to. He gets to train for this guy. I think it's a great fight for the Leech. And they both, I'm pretty sure, traded off now. I think D-Rod's now 14, which Leech was before this fight. So D- or Leech needs his spot back in the rankings. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then, I think you got to run that one back, personally. Yep. Let them train for each other. Yep. And then we, we know where Nate's going. He's going to box someone, maybe, or do whatever Nate and, and the Diaz army do. He claims he's going to make a million dollars in a grappling match. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I could see it. If, if you put Nate in a flow grappling match, mm-hmm. everyone's buying flow grappling. Yep, no Everyone. doubt. And then I, I would imagine Tony tries to go after maybe one or two more fights, but it's it's it like give him a retirement fight, just give him someone give him that an he old can man handle. already. Like he, yeah. yes, he got Nate finally, but just give him an old man. Like come mm-hmm. on. Can yeah. You, can we not fight? Yeah, I guess he's done. I was gonna say, can we not fight Cowboy? But okay. Um, who is Cowboy just supposed to fight? Joe Lazone. Can we not fight Joe Lazone? Yeah. Yeah, give him Joe Lazone. It'd be a great fight. So I think that's kind of where those two guys end up. But really the two kind of interesting stories coming out of this are Hamzat and Nate. Where do you see Hamzat ending up after this week? Because obviously – or excuse me, Hamzat and Kevin Holland. I think it's yeah. like Hamzat and Nate. That, I figured Ham- that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hamzat, Hamzat- – do you think there's anybody to fight other than Colby? No. Like, no. no one's talking about it much yet. No one knows what's going on with Colby. I've heard he's being hidden in Vegas. I heard he's not even living in Florida right now. I'm kind of hearing things that UFC is basically hiding him in Vegas, not letting him do a lot of promotion, not letting him be out in the public until all this Masvidal stuff is situated. But that's also not really taking much of a toll on either of those guys. Like, they could both book fights while this legal situations happening but 
like when I pull up the rankings right now, I mean, there's, I, no one else. there's, no, there's nowhere to go. You got Leon, you got Leon and Kamaru absolutely should run it back. Like there's no reason any other fight should happen in that division in terms for those two. Like, I don't think Leon should be fighting anyone else other than Kamaru. Kamaru absolutely deserves the shot back. And then it goes Colby, Hamzat, Gilbert. Like, Hamzat already beat Gilbert. Colby's not going to fight Kamaru again. Colby's definitely not going to move down to fight number five, six, seven, eight, etc. Like, he's the top of the top. So if he can't fight Kamaru, it has to be Hamzat, Colby. Like, it just has to be. Well, and, and what a fight that would be. I mean, you've yeah. got two guys that have just immense wrestling pedigree. Both of them are at the top of the division, and I think both of them need one more fight in order to potentially get another title shot. Because you would expect Leon Edwards to to turn right back to Kamaru and give him the immediate rematch. I think that's the right thing to do. So you, you assume that the title is going to be tied up for at least another like eight to twelve months, if not maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Yeah, because neither they're not fighting for a minute. No, 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 not at all. So I think I think Hamzat and Colby just makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that's just an insane fight with, with the wrestling that they both bring. Uh, their striking is improved because or, or is, is, is uh, more effective because of uh, the heavy wrestling pressure that both of them apply in their fights. So I think that's a great fight to go with there. What about Kevin Holland, though? Because Kevin Holland was like cracking the top 15 at 185. And I, I think he was I mean, just a little too small, but he's tall enough that it made sense. But him if, moving down to 170, like that's where he needs to be. So I don't think he oh, needs yeah. to move back up. No, no, no. Where, where do you go with him at 170? So, like looking at the rankings right now, if D-Rod and Leach do not get matched up, I do think D-Rod – honestly, I think either of them would be a great fight for Kevin because those are two strikers. Like I was really excited to finally see Kevin go against a boxer. Like – D-Rod's not going to take him down, ground and pound, do all this wrestling. D-Rod is a boxer, a crisp boxer, too. Mm-hmm. So that was a fight I was really excited to see. If it doesn't happen, there are so many guys in the bottom bottom half of 170's top 15 that I would love to see Kevin fight. Michelle Pereira, that could be an unbelievable striking matchup. Both of them like to talk. Both of them are fan-friendly fighters. Like That would be just an awesome fight to watch as a fan. Um I even think Neil against Michael Kiesa. Do not put him against Vicente Luque. Do not put him against Shavkat. And what sucks is that's probably who he's going to get because one of them's going to need a fight, and Kevin's going to raise his hand and say, "Oh, pick me." Shavkat needs a fight. The sixteen and zero dude. That's basically Hamzat, just a little less known. Hey, I'll fight him. Why not? So that sucks. But give Kevin a give Kevin a Neil Magny. Give Kevin yes. a Michelle Pereira. Give him a D. Like, I just want to see him fight a striker. That's all I want. Yes, I know. I think, I, yeah, I think the Neil Magny fight makes a lot of sense. Both of them are built extremely similar. They're both extremely tall welterweights. They've got good striking. Both of them are, are fairly good on the ground. Obviously, Kevin in the wrestling department, not as much, but he's a Travis Luter black belt, so his submission skills are there. Uh, and I think Neil Magny's kind of the same way. So I think that stylistically is a, a matchup that makes sense. And I think it'd be a really good fight. And, and, you know, if Kevin wins, he'll crack the top 15. If Neil Magny should prevail, then then he keeps doing Neil Magny things, as he's always done, just kind of spoiling hype trains. And yeah, just to consummate right there. But yep. not can't make it to the top, but also just can't be knocked off either. Yeah, so I, I think that's a, a really solid fight to make there. So let's go ahead and segue into 
this upcoming week. We've got uh, just a slurry of picks all over the card. I, I really like the diversity that we've brought uh, to this week's picks. But UFC Fight Night, Sandhagen versus Yudong goes live from the Apex at 7 o'clock Saturday night. I'm super excited for this card. I think it's kind of one that flies under the radar a little bit more than others. But there actually are some really intriguing fights, especially from a betting perspective. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our picks of the week. Jake, you want to get us started? Yeah, absolutely. So first pick of the week, we're taking Javid Bashrat, and we're taking the double chance, so by KO or submission. So the last time we saw this guy, he was fighting Trevin Jones, and that one did happen to go to a decision. And when you're looking at his career, that is his only decision he has ever been to, win or loss. He is 12-0, finishes in every single fight. We saw him on the Contender Series get a submission in round three. This guy's just an absolute freak on the ground. I, I don't see uh, Tony Gravely having anything to do with him. So I think getting a line like this, because he's a fairly heavy favorite here, so getting a line at plus 140 is is a pretty good line for us to take. And this is one that we've been hitting on pretty consistently lately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the inside the inside the distance bets, no matter if it's TKO or sub or just straight up inside the distance. I, I kind of liken those to betting the over in a, in a football game because you're you're rooting for excitement. And it, mm-hmm. it, it just makes watching those fights a lot more interesting. Yeah, Our next if, if you've been betting with us too, you've noticed that more than likely we're almost never taking just the sub. We're more than likely not taking just the knockout because you see all the time those submission artists. They get you on the ground. They're doing everything they can to submit you, and then you just roll over, turtle up, and then they have nothing to do but rain down those shots. So once in a while, those submission artists will get those TKO rain down punches. So for that reason, we're always taking these double chances. But I'm not sure we have missed on a double chance yet. I think our one miss was the Alexander Romanov one, and that was just ridiculous. But besides that, I think we're pretty much almost undefeated on these double chance bets. So we got to keep this rolling. Yep, I, I love the double chance bets. Sh- shout out DraftKings Sportsbook for those. And here we are right back at it with another one. Jillian Robertson by submission or decision at minus 120. I think that bet for her and her style makes a lot of sense. I, I think her and Dean Thomas have tried a lot to work on her hands and, and get the striking kind of up to par. But at the end of the day, she's a submission specialist. And when when you're in a tough fight, not that I think this one's going to be super, super tough. I think it's a great fight and either fighter could win. But when you're in those difficult spots, you're going to go back to what you do best just naturally. It's just an instinct. And I think Jillian Robertson absolutely is going to going to do that here against Maria Agapova. Just wrestling heavy, grappling heavy, going to try to sub her. I think if, if she gets a submission, great, our bet hits. If she goes to a decision and just can't find a submission throughout the course of, of those three rounds, our bet also hits. So for that reason, I really like this pick at minus 120. Yeah, and then moving on to the next one, we're taking Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon. We're going to go under two and a half at a plus 145 dog. So this is similar to a fight we had last week where we were taking the larger women to go under the two and a half rounds, so not going the distance. Normally when we look at these women's fights, they do tend to go the distance. However, these bantamweight fighters are a little different. And Aspen Ladd especially is one of those moving up a weight class because she no longer wants to cut all the weight she's been cutting. She's a finisher, so I'm, I'm, we're not taking Aspen Ladd inside the distance just because of a puncher's chance at bantamweight. Anything can happen. This is new for Aspen. But when you're looking at Aspen's record, she has nine wins, 70% of them by knockout. I, 
I'm pretty confident that Aspen's going to come out and get the knockout within two rounds of this fight. But if she doesn't, I think she could also get slapped by Sarah McMahon. So this is just a great bet to me. The two big girls going at it. Somebody's going out. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. And you're getting plus money on that bet. Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got Andre Feely's money line. You and I talked about this when we both just really felt confident in Andre Feely. Not, not for necessarily anything that you can point to. His record over his last four fights doesn't really stick out. But I think in this matchup with Bill Algio, he, he just really looks like he's got a stylistic advantage. I, I think Andre Feely brings a lot to the table. He's coming off of a loss, so he's that much more motivated to go in there and, and not only get a win, but but you know have a big finish and, and really show the UFC that he belongs. And, and I think at a minus-125 favorite, you still have a lot of value on that bet even though it's pretty close to even money. So for that reason, I think Andre Feely is a really solid pick for this week as well. And then moving on to our last pick of the week before we get into the nitty-gritty ones, we are taking Tanner Bozer versus Rodrigo Nascimento, and we are taking the under one and a half rounds. I mean, this is a heavyweight fight. There's not a lot to say. It is going to go the distance or it's going to end in the first round. And when you look at the records, you look at Tanner Bozer, that is exactly what you see. He's basically 50-50 in terms of knockout versus decision. He's either getting that first-round knockout or he's taking it to the decision. But when we go look at Rodrigo Nascimento, he has eight wins, zero decisions, all eight finishes. Not one has made it out of one and a half rounds. So if we're if we're thinking about Nascimento winning, he's going to win inside the distance. Bozer, he's got 50-50 chance. But to get this at an underdog line, like how not take that especially in a heavyweight fight yeah yeah and I, I love betting unders in heavyweight fights just because every single guy in that heavyweight division has the potential to put your lights out and then some of some of them have the skills to do both they can put your lights out or they can submit you so i really love that yeah, not cemento specifically is uh only two knockouts but six submissions 75 percent of his wins are all by sub yeah so. yeah and tanner bozer's terrifying with the mullet so mm-hmm. gotta love that pick and now moving forward into one of my favorite picks every single week, not only because we always pick a great person to win one of these fights, but Jake, you're the Hebrew. Let's see the hammer. Who you got for this week? We got the hammer, hammer of, the, of week the week this week. Real hammer this time. But we are rocking with Corey, Corey Sandhagen's money line at a minus 195 odds. Corey has had some bad luck in his last two fights. That does not represent who he is as a fighter. It does not represent his tier as a fighter as well. His last two fights were both losses on paper to Piotr Jan and TJ Dillashaw. When you look at that loss to Dillashaw, that loss gave him a title shot. Is that a loss? I don't think so. When you look at who won that, like the end of that fight, Corey didn't have a scratch on him. And then TJ Dillashaw's face is battered up, tore his knees. He's out for nine months. I mean, how do you not win that fight? Like, other than judging criteria or scoring criteria, like, it's a fight. Corey won that fight. And besides that, Corey's had such a mental change since that loss to Aljamain Sterling. He came out there very slowly, very methodically, and Aljamain came out hot. Aljamain came out ready to go, took him down, got his back, choked him out. It was one of the fastest finishes, submissions especially, that I have ever seen. And since then, Corey has taken on this whole new persona, a whole new spirituality, a whole new, I'm going to be angry when I'm in the cage. And the way we have seen him fight since then is exactly that. That knockout against Frankie Edgar is one of the most disgusting knockouts I've ever seen. Like that, I put that up there with 
put that up there with the Cheeto head kick. I put that up there with the Michael Chandler front kick. Like that is one of the grossest knockouts I have ever seen. And Corey's fighting a guy in Song Yudong who is a great up and coming fighter, but I just don't think he has the wins that like Corey does. Sure, he has Marlon Marais just like Corey did. He was going. He was on his way out for both of those guys. Like that's just no no longer the quality win that it used to be. And I don't, I just don't think Song Yudong is ready for a matchup like Corey Santagin. Just because Corey is dropping down due to his losses. Corey's still, I think, a top three in his division. So sitting at minus 195, that's a crazy line in my opinion. I think he should be heavily more inflated, just like some of these other cards we've been seeing. Yeah, and I think something that's really important that you alluded to as well is that Song Yudong is one of the younger fighters on the UFC roster. And Corey Sanhagen has fought the who's who uh, in that division. So I, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't hammer this pick. I think that Corey just brings so much to the table uh, not only stylistically, but in terms of experience. I think Corey has has fought everyone he needs to fight to put himself under not a lot of pressure in these high-leverage situations. So uh, I think the hammer of the week this week absolutely gets it done. And then moving on into our next pick of the week, one of, another one of my favorites, because we've actually had pretty good success with our dogs of the week this uh, so far. So... Our dog of the week this week is Damon Jackson versus Pat Sabatini under two and a half. Uh, kind of like you mentioned with the heavyweight fight, uh, I, there's no reason in my mind that this fight should be at such a heavy underdog to go under two and a half rounds. Pat Sabatini is, is a finisher. Uh, he's on just a crazy win streak right now. And then Damon Jackson, also the leech. We saw a different leech last week. We're seeing a, a new leech this week. Damon Jackson is one of those guys that everyone seems to struggle with. And I think both of these guys bring a lot to the table in terms of finishing ability. So mm -hmm. this pick makes all the sense in the world to me. We, we were talking about this fight leading up to this and trying to figure out how to throw a pick for this fight into our picks of the week. And this one just makes all the sense in the world, especially at a plus 185 dog. You're getting a lot of value on that. It's a three-round fight, so you're basically just betting inside the decision without the extra, you know, two and a half minutes in round three. Mm -hmm. uh, so so this pick makes all the sense in the world. I, I don't see why this doesn't hit. Like I said, we've had really great success and, and a little bit of good luck sprinkled in there with our dog of the week, and I just don't see this one being any different at all. Yeah, I, I completely agree with this pick. At plus 185, looking at records, like just looking at everything on the paper, that is such an absurd line to me. Because like you said, Sabatini, for starters, is the heavy favorite. He's more than likely going to win. You look at the way Damon Jackson loses, he's never lost to a decision. He only gets knocked out or subbed. And then if you want to ride the underdog on here, Damon Jackson also has 21 wins, only three decisions. So these are just not decision fighters. Like These are two fighters that are going to come out and try and get the finish. So with two and a half minutes left in the fight, like I'm very willing to take our, our risk, at it, especially a plus 185, that one of them is going to get it done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And then we got to have a bounce back on this next pick because the parlay last week I was so sour over because it looked so good going into to the Jake Collier fight. And then it actually ended up hitting because uh, the Kutalaba and, uh, and Johnny Walker fight finished. Uh, it did not go the distance. It finished inside the distance. So three out of our four legs hit. But, you know, what are you going to do? That's the nature of the fight game. We can't, we can't linger on it too long. But we got to have a good bounce back this week. Mm -hmm. And we didn't just stick to MMA in this parlay, which I think is awesome because there's another guy in the fight world that's also fighting 
on Saturday night, and he goes by the name Canelo Alvarez. Jake, you want to take us through this one? Yeah, so this week, there were not a lot of amazing lines to take in the UFC this week in terms of money lines. Not a lot of just like, I am so confident on this that we decided, you know what? Why not throw Canelo Alvarez in? He's the best fighter in the world, in my opinion, other than maybe a Tyson Fury. But, I mean, you, you got to throw Canelo's money line in there. I, Canelo versus Triple G, I, that's an amazing fight that everybody wants to see this weekend. So throw him in with Daniel Zellhuber and Joe Pfeiffer. We're pretty much getting the same thing we do every week. Three minus 500, uh, minus 500 heavy favorites, and we're getting them just about to an even money line. Like, this is such a good pick, in my opinion, that – can't not take it. Yep, no no doubt about that. And I think one one cool thing about this parlay is that you've got two Mexican fighters on the same parlay. So obviously Canelo in the boxing realm. And then Daniel Zellhuber uh, is a great pick. He's just an absolute monstrosity. And, and he's just been tearing it up lately. And then Joe Pfeiffer fits into this uh, like a glove because he's fighting in the UFC during the same season that he fought on the Contender Series, which I think is really cool. And if there's any Contender Series fans out there, you'll probably remember back to week one of this season where it was a lot of lackluster fights, but that one guy got a knockout and really impressed everyone. And Dana White went on that fiery rant about, you want to come in here and you want to impress me? Be like Joe Pfeiffer. Do what Joe Pfeiffer did. And that's just like, if you've got Dana that like impressed and, and that uh, fired up to the point where he gives a speech like that, you did something right. Mm. Joe Pfeiffer over a four to one favorite in this fight. So I think this parlay has as, as good a chance as any of our parlays to hit uh, the line, obviously still a favorite, but kind of like you mentioned, Jake, you're getting three extremely heavy favorites at, at almost even money. So I, I don't see that why there's any reason not to hammer this one as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really like all of our picks this week. I think we uh, really kind of thought this through and, and picks are generally tougher on weeks where you don't have a lot of big names Uh, just because there's not as much um, available knowledge between people like in anyone. This is not just specific to us. But when you have these fighters that don't always fight and don't have a bunch of star power, you got to do a lot more research. And I think we did a good job of that. So I'm super excited about all of our picks this week. I don't know uh, how we don't go out here and and make money like we've done every week so Mm -hmm. far. So uh, I'm ready to go, man. I think this is going to be a great fight night. Yeah, I'm so ready for this. And as for the picks, for the fans out there listening, something that we're going to start doing next week is getting out the actual units that you are going to be betting. So we're going to be starting to keep track exactly of how much we're up, how much we're down weekly, monthly, throughout the year, etc. So I'm going to comprise what we've gone through over the last three weeks or so, look at the units that we've been putting down, see where we're at, and go from there. And we're just going to see how high we can let this thing rise see how much money we can make throughout the ufc this year yeah and i think we've had like three good weeks in the past few weeks so i don't see why that changes here and and you know Mm -hmm. for everyone out there that's listening make sure you bet with round six we're going to go out and we're going to make some money we're never going to just tank on a night and again that's not a blanket statement it's the fight world it's kind of hard to just openly say oh we're never going to lose a bet but I really do feel like, for the most part, we put a lot of thought into these, and it's not just an, oh, I like him, or oh, he's cool, why don't we just go ahead and take him? Mm-hmm. Like We actually do a really good job of looking through these these fights, digging into the fighters' backgrounds and everything. So if you're out there and you're listening and you want to make some money, bet with round six. Yes, sir. No doubt, no doubt. So 
again, super excited for this weekend. Not only do we have Fight Night, Sandhagen versus Yudong at 7 o'clock on Saturday, but you've also got the one and only Canelo Alvarez fighting Triple G in the trilogy. I think that's going to be an awesome fight. But super excited for this week. Super excited to keep the podcast rolling. Jake, you got anything else you want to say? No, I'm just ready to make some money this weekend again. Again, yeah, as always. So, guys, make sure you follow us on Instagram, at Round6Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube. Share the pages everywhere. Share the videos everywhere. We're trying to make this thing big. But until next time, you guys have a good one.